Let's read Acts 2. We pick up in verse 1. Acts 2. And we pick up in verse 1. We're going to read an extended passage. So I hope and I pray that you are able to stand. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under the heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. I'll pause here to say that covers just about everybody. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will... Pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servant and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would not set one of his descendants Excuse me, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is interesting. And with many other words, he bore witness. That means that wasn't the end of the sermon. That means he kept on preaching. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 sold. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a depiction and description of the initial day when you sent your Holy Spirit. That day when you stepped out of heaven and stepped into our midst. I pray that you'll do it again. I pray that you would come among us. In a manifest way, just like you did at Pentecost. I pray that we'll be ready, we'll be prepared, we'll, we will want you. Lord, I know that it's because when they were all together and in one accord, in one place that you came, the sin were, were confessed and repented of and that they were in unity. Lord, I pray that for us today. Lord, you know the conditions of this world. You know that. The answers for everything that we face is you. We ask you to come. We ask you to begin with this very small group in this room. And we ask that we not only embrace you, but we follow you because you've come to us. 
In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Most of you know that when we moved here, we had a little rat dog. Now, my wife's not here, so I can say that. Now, I understand that a lot of you have those curry dogs that you like to sit on your recliner and behind your head, and you like them licking you and doing all this. Now, that's not me. You know that. But we got this dog back when we were in Biloxi. Actually, we bought it. I think we actually got it just before we left Moss Point and went in Biloxi. Those two had fenced-in yards. But then we moved to a little house where it did not have a fenced-in yard. By the way, that dog's name, do you remember that dog's name? Duchess. And uh, I always wondered if the Duchess was the dog's name or the dog's position in our house <laughs> for the way she was treated. But I used to get tickled at her when we lived in the house there on Lakeview Circle in uh, uh, Biloxi because she was a pup. We had kept her in the washroom. And uh, when we'd let her go out, she'd go crazy, James. She'd run everywhere you didn't want her to do. I mean, she just did what she wanted to. She'd just run, 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 run. And you've had animals like that before. You know, I got to thinking about her and how animals do because they're not designed to be caged up. And, and when they turn loose, they just go crazy. And I wonder if we treat God like that sometimes. Now, some of you deep theologians will say, oh, we can't pin God up. I mean, he does what he wants to do. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, then if, if the Lord can do exactly what he wants to, how come it is that when Jesus came to Nazareth, his hometown, that the Scripture says that he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief? You know what I wonder today? I wonder if the reason God is not getting loose among us anymore than he is, is because of our unbelief. If you don't believe he can get loose, Perhaps he, our unbelief holds him captive. What I will say to you today is that when God gets loose, some things happen. I'm afraid that we as Baptists, we as believers, we're afraid for God to get loose because if God gets loose, he may do something we've never seen done before. He may do something out of the ordinary. We may discover that he's got a mind of his own. He has some things that wants to be done in our lives. Hello? I've been in many services where preachers have said, we really saw what God can do last night. Hmm. I've been in some really good services, but I've never seen a fraction of what God can do when I think about it in the history of his word. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He parted the water. He brought water from the rock. He walked on the water. He calmed the storm. Hey, he even raised the dead. I've never seen any, have you? Never seen anything that even remotely resembles that. I believe that God, when he gets loose, that some things can really change and will change. Now this morning, I just want us to hover on that when God gets loose, taking the second chapter of Acts. So let me just offer you four or five things. Teenagers, you're not going to like this because it doesn't all start with the same letter, okay? So uh, um, if you look on your device and you don't find a... a, 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 a Presentation this morning, the week was too short, wasn't enough hours, all right? So follow along in your bulletin and on the screen. Let me just offer you four or five things. When God gets loose, everybody knows something unusual is happening. Did you know that? Some people think God slips in. Now, 
I don't want to harbor on this, but I know this has kind of made its way around the church because I've told many of you, haven't been a secret about it. We could go Thursday night. Three boys happen to be Afro-American. I'm not picking on the Afro-American culture. Those who happen to be Afro-Americans assaulted me. I am safe. I am sound. Uh, next time, they may not want what they're going to get, okay? I'm just telling you, I'm going prepared now, paying attention. But they, they assaulted me, and all they got away with was a phone. You can replace a phone. But you know how they did it? One guy distracted me, and another guy slipped up on me. I just want to say this to you. God didn't slip up on us. God didn't slip in the back door. He doesn't. The truth is, when you read the Scripture, you don't know, you discover that when God shows up, it's normally accompanied by a sound. Now, for those who like it quiet, you're not going to like this. But you can take your trip through the Bible, and you discover that when God shows up and when God does something... And something unusual is happening, and it normally is accompanied by a sound. Well, I already mentioned when uh, the children of Israel were standing in front of the Red Sea, most uninformed people think that when God told uh, Moses to part the Red Sea, he just stuck his, his rod out there and said, move, and, and it just parted. But you know, that's not what happened. Scripture says, the wind blew all night long. Now, those who are from the coast... We know what wind is from a hurricane. Those who live around here know what wind sounds like from a uh, uh, tornado. You heard it, the sound effect on the screen. The scripture says in Acts chapter 2 that it was a mighty rushing wind. In Exodus, we are told that that wind blew all night long. And folks, I want to remind you something. They couldn't see what was going on. They were sitting on the bank. All they could hear was the wind. Can you? Would you like to sit by a body of water like that and hear the wind blow and not really know? There was no street lights or no boat lights. And not only did God take his wind and part that water, but he blew that wind enough that it dried up the ground. There's a sound. You go to Ezekiel, what, around 37? And Ezekiel was a Baptist preacher, Brother Terry. I know he was because it says... And the mighty hand of the Lord was on me, and he carried me over, and he put me in the valley of bones. Actually, it wasn't bones, it was dry bones. I wonder how many Baptist preachers have felt like when they got to their new church that God had dropped them in the valley of dry bones. And then God said, okay, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And here's the scripture. It says, Lord, only you know. Can I, can I give you that in Alabama terms? I don't have a clue. And God said, you preach to them. You prophesy to them. And he did. And the scripture records that a wind came and there was a rattling and a shaking. In fact, I've thought about that song many, many times. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Can you imagine being in that valley and all of a sudden the bones start shaking? And all of a sudden they start connecting the foot bone to the ankle bone, to the shin, to the knee, to the thigh. Can you imagine what he was thinking? And then when all the bones got together and they were connected together, God says, can these bones now live? <laughs> well, you brought us this far. Let's see if you go a little further. And then it says that God brought life and they stood together, mighty army. Would you like to have been there? Then we get to this passage, Acts chapter 2, and it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verses 1, it was a mighty rushing wind. 
Actually, the word is violent, rushing wind. And it filled the place and people knew and people heard, not just in the building, people heard for miles around. You see, folks, when God gets loose, something unusual is happening. If you go over to Acts chapter 4, what you'll discover is after Peter and John were arrested and they prayed, once again, God took the house and he shook it. And there's a whole lot of sound going on. You ever wonder why he shook that house? I don't know exactly why, but maybe just to let them know he was there. When I was in elementary school, my sister was three years behind me. I walked into her class one day just in time to see her teacher. You could do this back then, so don't any... The issue is not what she did, okay? Don't charge the platform. But she put her hands on both of my sister's shoulders, and she said, I'd like to shake some sense into you. I wonder if God wants to grab us and shake some sense into us. Maybe, I've got to think about it, maybe he doesn't shake a Baptist church because he doesn't want to wake anybody up. Maybe he wants to shake us and get our attention. See, I'm praying for God to get loose because I want him to get our attention. Because when he gets our attention, everybody knows something is happening. If God were to shake you to the very core of your being, if he were to shake this building, would he get our undivided attention? I'm afraid what he's got is our divided attention. He wants us to represent him in this world. You're ambassadors for Christ. You'll be my witnesses. There's no one who is excused. There is no one who... Who can just say, well, that meant somebody else. You see, when God shows up, something unusual starts happening, and it starts changing lives. read a story about a little 10, 11-year-old girl this week. She's on her way home from uh, Sunday school, and she said, Mom, preacher's message confused me this morning. And her mother said, okay, why is that? She said, well, the preacher said that God is bigger than us. She said, that's right, honey. But then he said that God lives inside of us. That's true, honey. And then out of the mouth of babe, she said, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, wouldn't he show through us? You see, when God gets loose in our hearts, something changes. Something happens. I pray daily, Acts chapter 2, for my life and for this church and for this country, that God would come in a manifest way. Let's move on. I'll be here all day. Something unusual happens happens when God gets loose. The scripture becomes important. Peter got up to preach, and you know what? Three times in the course of ten minutes... He quoted scripture. Two times he quoted Joel. One time he quoted the Psalms. And you know why that is? It is because God's word is so important. You read Hebrews. You read Timothy. What you discover is God's word is the centerpiece of all we are. You read the Old Testament. You find that that no matter where you are, God's word fits the need. Now, I'm going to say this to you. We tend to go to Oprah. We tend to go to Dr. Phil. We tend to go other places 
when God has given us all we need right here. You see, when you're when you go to God's Word, when God shows up and you begin to focus on His Word, His Word's like fresh water to your parched soul. His Word is like a refreshed, cool breeze on a hot summer day. When Peter, when Peter spoke here, pick it up in verse 14, he quoted God's Word. Now, he had no idea that he was making more Scripture, that he was speaking more Scripture. But he knew this. He knew that God's Word was a centerpiece of God's plan. He knew that God's, God's Word was a centerpiece of life. He knew that God's Word was a centerpiece of anything called the church. It was not a good idea. It was not a great suggestion. It was not for the spiritual elite. It was the, the Word of God was the answers for all of life. You know what? If you don't get into God's Word every day, you don't have an appetite for it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yesterday was a, an, a, a tr- not a trying day, but it was just a tiring day. Thank you, Eddie, for reminding me of that. He came, the encouragement Eddie Bratton gave me when he walked past me, he shook my hand, he bent down, got close to my ear, and he goes, You really look tired. Thank you, Candy. Take care of it. I am a little bit physically tired. But here's what I'm going to tell you what I think would have caused it. Up earlier than I wanted to get up yesterday morning after the week that I had. On the road by about 7.15, 7.30 to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. The highlight of the day, what it was real worth is I went there and I got to pick up Dad. We got to have lunch together. We got to hang out together. I hadn't seen him in a while. Went to the funeral. Picked up some things for Dad and came back home and just kind of collapsed last night. But you know what I missed yesterday? The refuel. There were years ago when I didn't, when I didn't have a chance to go into God's Word daily, that wouldn't have bothered me. I woke up this morning and I said, you know, Lord, we didn't talk much yesterday. Let's see if we can fix that today. You see, the Word of God speaks life into us, speaks energy into us, speaks health into us. And I just want to say this to us. If Scripture is important to you, it gets your time. If Scripture is important to you, it gets your attention. If Scripture is important to you, it gets your focus. And if I were to ask you, how important is the Bible to you? Because you're sitting in the church, you'd go, oh, it's my everything. Really? So what did you read yesterday? Okay, what did you read Friday? Okay, Thursday? Wednesday? What, did you, what word did God speak into your life? You see, when God gets loose in our lives, Scripture becomes unimaginably important to us. I want God to get loose. You? Number three, and we dig this out from several places here, not only does everybody know something unusual is happening, not only is Scripture important, number three, the focus is on Jesus. Number three, the focus is on Jesus. Isn't it interesting that people will tell you at the Pentecost the Holy Spirit came and everybody focuses on the Spirit. Whereas when you actually read the passage of Scripture that we read, passage of Scripture that we read, 
you discover that Peter pointed everybody to Jesus. By the way, we did read a long extended passage today. And some people go, that's too much scripture for the preacher to read. If I had a dime for every time that I heard somebody say that, I could retire a wealthy man. I'm just going to tell you something. We don't read enough scripture in worship. Back in the Old Testament, they stood. Now listen, everybody. They stood from early morning till noon while the Word of God was read. They didn't stand because the preacher asked them to stand. They stood out of reverence to the Word of God. I'm convinced we do not have enough of the Word of God in our life. That's why a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, and we'll be doing this from time to time, Whitney started off the service having us read together from the Word of God. You see, the Word of God, like the Spirit of God, always focuses on the Son of God. You know why? Because Jesus is the centerpiece of God's Word. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's work. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's plan. He's God's Son. He's the Savior. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the deliverer. He's the soon-coming King. It is Jesus. When we focus on anything else but Jesus, we lose our way. Acts in 2.38, we just read it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Acts 3, 6, as they stood by the gate, beautiful, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. And then in Acts 9, it says, in Damascus, they fearlessly preached the name of Jesus. In Acts 10, it says they ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. But however... The world don't like the name of Jesus in Acts 5. When they were released, they were told not to ever speak of the name of Jesus. And you know why that is? Paul tells us in Philippians when he says, One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth. You see, Jesus takes the glory from earthly people. Whatever else you may know about Jesus, please listen. He is the dividing point today. He is the dividing point between the haves and the has-nots, those who have eternal life and those who have not eternal life. It's Jesus. The only thing that we have in this room, I want to say this again, we can't out-entertain people, we can't out-receive uh, money, we can't out-do anything of the world. The only thing we have that the world does not have is Jesus, and we have what they need. When God gets loose, when God gets loose, Jesus becomes center, center stage because you know why? Excuse me, teenagers. I know you don't know this song. We don't sing it much anymore, but listen, it's still true. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name, and that's the reason why I love him so. There's power in the name of Jesus. Power to forgive sin, power to redeem lives. And listen, folks, you don't want to deal with Jesus. You don't want to invite Jesus into your life. You don't want to make Jesus the focus of your life. Please listen. It's kind of like an old uh, uh, advertisement. I actually saw it in Biloxi, Patty. Old advertisement on TV. That mechanic had his uh, mechanic um, uh, advertisement on TV. And then he had holed up an old oil filter. He'd say... This engine blew up because the oil filter clogged up. He said, at our place, we'll help you keep your maintenance. He said, so you got, and he held up a new oil filter. He said, here's your choices. You can pay me now, 
Or you can pay me later, but you're going to pay me. When it comes to Jesus, you can honor him now, or you can honor him later. But one day you're going to honor him. If you wait till later, it's not going to be the outcome that you want. Because you see, Jesus will either be this. Watch this. If you focus on him now, he'll be the savior of your soul. If you refuse him, one day he's going to be the jailer of your soul. Which brings us very naturally to the fourth thing that comes about. Now, the rest of it, this has been good thus far. Everybody knows something's happening. I kind of like that. Scripture's important. I can live with that. The focus is on Jesus. Man, that's even good. But number four, when, when God gets loose, is conviction and repentance abounds. Conviction and repentance are not really spoken of much these days. In fact, I would submit to you that we live in the age of the seared conscience. We can do whatever we want. And it's okay. People can live together out of wedlock. In fact, the church that I was, just was at, pastor told me that they had a couple of youth leaders that were seen, single, and they decided they are going to get married. In order to save money, 11 months before they got married, they decided to move in together. And then were startled when the pastor said, you can't do that. And serve the Lord in this church. And when I say things like that, I get big eyeballs. What do you mean? You're so judgmental. Well, no, we live by God's Word. It doesn't matter whether it's fornication. It doesn't matter whether it's adultery. It doesn't matter whether it's homosexuality. It doesn't matter what it is. When it's when it's in dire opposition to God's Word, we have to stand lovingly and yet firmly on His Word. We live in a day when conscience are so seared that people, that people attack people, people live in sin, and it doesn't bother them. They can take their place in the pew, they can play, take their place in the Sunday school class, and they can live with what they've done because our conscience is so seared. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When God shows up, it'll be like it was for Isaiah. Isaiah was God's prophet. Now, I want you to hear this. Isaiah was God's prophet, God's called preacher. He was the one delivering some words. And still, in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up in his vein, and he saw him in his glory. And here's what happened. When he saw God, Conviction fell because he said, Woe is me. In the light of his holiness, I am unworthy. I am unclean. And I am undone. You see, when God gets when God gets loose, the standards change. Language changes. Awareness of sin changes. Awareness of wickedness overtakes us. For me, this is the big number. When people can come in 
and hear a message about sin and walk out the doors with sin in their life. It seems to me God's not shown up very much. And that made no mistake. Immorality is only one of the classifications of sin. Well, we can have sorry attitudes and it's a sin. We can hate people and it's a sin. We can talk about people and it's a sin. We can have pride in our lives and it's a sin. God resists the proud. You know, we live in a day when conscience are just kind of, uh, I said seared. Do you know what seared means? Sure you do. How many times have you, uh, before you learned better, how many times did you reach up and touch that iron that your mom had? You know what you could do? You could put your finger right in that burn and it wouldn't even, wouldn't even, you wouldn't feel it. That would hurt around, but right in the middle of it, you couldn't feel anything because the nerve endings were killed. That's what happens in our souls. When we sin and we keep on sinning and we keep on sinning, when we, when we are ungodly and we keep on being ungodly and keep on being ungodly, we just get to where it doesn't bother us anymore. This is for free. It's not even in the message, but I just might help somebody. The way you get into a habit to a lifestyle of sin, it starts off with a thought. You know that thought's wrong. You know you really shouldn't attack that person. You know you really shouldn't uh, uh, commit that act. You know you shouldn't say those things. You know you shouldn't have that attitude. You know you shouldn't feel that way. But whatever it is, it's a thought, and you dismiss it. Satan's not through with you. And he comes back again. And he comes back again. And one day he catches you on a particularly weak day because Satan knows your weakness and he knows when you're weakest. And he'll attack you right there. And one day he comes and that thought turns into consideration. You consider it. And you go, you know, maybe it's not that bad. You know, maybe what my mom and dad, maybe even what the Bible says, maybe that's over the top. And so the thought turns to a consideration. And then after you consider it a while, it turns to an attitude. And, and that attitude is, ah, you know what? They're just telling me wrong stuff. That's just happened among our, some of our teenagers. I don't mean these eight or ten here. I'm just saying among our general student population. You know, that older generation, they had the wrong standards. They, they, they don't know what they talk about. They're just old people. Well, it happens. This attitude still comes on to older people. Hello? And so then you take that thought to consideration to an attitude. It's okay. And so it moves to an action. I'll just try it one time. I'll just try it one time. And so you look around, and nobody's looking, you think, and you try it one time, and nobody got hurt, and I didn't die. So you know what happens? You do it again, you do it again, and every time you do it, your conscience begins to not even bother you anymore. And it moves from an action to a habit. 
and your habits lead to your lifestyle. And all of a sudden, things that you thought were sinful, that you know the Bible teaches is sinful, are now a part of your life. Has God convicted you of anything in your life? Oh, Brother Jerry, I'm not admitting that to you. Well, don't admit it to me. Admit it to him. Because, you see, the Bible says that when they heard the message, down in verse 37, it says, when they heard this, they were cut or pricked or lanced in their heart. They were deeply moved by God's truth. When they heard Peter's words and the Spirit of God empowered that message, they knew. They knew who they were. They knew what they had done. They knew what they were. They were sinners in need of a Savior. Were they emotional? You bet you. I'm going to swallow my emotion. Well, you may thwart the will of God and the work of God in your life. Brother Jerry, well, I believe it's all in the head. Well, you may wind up missing heaven by only 18 inches. Because the Bible said it is with the heart that we believe. It is with the heart we believe. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, repentance must follow. Or rejection is your only option. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again years ago. Pensacola, Florida, we were in a student meeting one Wednesday night. I asked about repentance, and Scott Erlarker said, Let me tell you, repentance is not. If you intend on doing it again, it's not repentance. Repentance is when you turn from it and walk away from it. In a little Sunday school class, 10 years old, 11 years old, teacher asked what repentance was. Boy raised his hand and said, it's feeling sorry for your sin. Little girl's hand shot up and said, no, it's feeling sorry enough for your sin to stop. You see, when God gets loose, I want to say this, if I haven't had your attention, when God gets loose in our hearts, conviction abounds. Repentance abounds. This big platform will not be big enough to hold the people. And we may have to change the carpet because of the tears. When God gets loose, it will start at that point. Last thing I want to share with you is that when God gets loose, conviction and repentance abounds. And number five, people get saved. People get saved. The last person in our reading said about 3,000 people got saved that day. First of all, you know how many, you know how 3,000 people got saved that day? 3,000 lost people came to see what was going on. People wonder why today there's not as many people getting saved in the, on Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's because the lost people are not showing up anymore. That's another message for another time. For people to get saved, you need two things. You need the gospel of Christ, and you need lost people. By the way, if if we don't go, they don't know, so they won't respond. This past week, on many fronts, there were a lot of hoorahs with Election Day. 
and the changeover in the Congress. But I also want to say this to you. The answer for our country is not in Congress. I'm, I'm glad for changes. I hope it makes some substantive changes. Have you ever asked yourself why our, you believe our culture is going to the dogs? And everybody I talk to believes our culture is just eroding away. One answer might be that the only real clear and ongoing message that people are hearing is a message of humanism, secularism, and paganism. They're not hearing the message of the gospel. They're not hearing about Jesus. They, now, people outside of Christ won't know they're lost until somebody brings them the message of Christ, till it's articulated, until it's told to them, till it's lived out in front of them so that they want what God's people have. And one of the main ways we'll know when people... God gets loose is when people begin getting saved. For you see, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for everybody. He's the answer for our moral dilemma, people getting saved. He is the answer for the family. He is the answer for youth violence. He is the answer for what's going on in the church. He is the answer for our nation. He is the answer for all that we can imagine. It's Jesus and people being saved by the precious blood and power of Jesus. People being discipled and walking after Jesus. You see, when God gets loose in your heart and my heart in this place, remember, it's because God gets loose and people are drawn to Him. I don't know about you, but I really want God to get loose. I don't know how many more years that I have on this earth. Sixty years old. If God gives Rodney and my our wish, we got ten more years of peace. But we're not guaranteed ten minutes, let alone ten years. Whatever time God has left for me, I want to make an impact for Him. I want to see people come to know Him. Do you? I know what it starts with. It starts with us laying aside our own personal agenda and our pride and laying ourselves at His feet in conviction and repentance and letting Him do in us what He did in these people. Let's pray together.